Hey friends, this is Shadima, also known as the Type A Hippie, and this is the Type A Hippie Podcast, Cheecast episode 55. And I'm on with three actually like close girlfriends now because we just get each other and it kind of came together or pretty organically. Um, we happen to be Seiko Fellows, and that's one of the common uh, threads that we have in our friendship. And I have never met them in person yet but I know it's coming and I'm really excited. So I'd love to welcome Michael Greenleaf, Jennifer Fultz and Sherry Burgott to the podcast. I'm so glad you all are on. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. So whomever wants to go first, I would love to hear and listeners would love to hear who you are in your own words. Hey, I'm Sherry Burgott. I am a child of immigrants, which I think is important to say, given the current climate. Both of my parents are from Trinidad and Tobago. I'm biracial, bicultural. I'm married to a white guy from Ohio. I'm a public educator at heart, and right now I'm also teaching in an independent school. Feminism, wokeness, blackness, education, anti-oppression, anti-all-isms. That's me. Love that. Who's next? <laughs> uh, I'm Michael Greenleaf. <laughs> um, I live out in LA. I am uh, biracial. I'm Japanese and white American. <laughs> the mixture of that. Um, I uh, am a Seiko Fellow. I work in um, facilities management as well. I am the mother to a crazy little one-year-old who makes my life very interesting. <laughs> and I am married um, to uh, Matt Greenleaf. Um, I am all about feminism and helping women get through the oppression of our world. And that's something that I very strongly believe in and would like to you know, figure out if there's more ways that I can get involved with that here um, and yeah, especially with this climate <laughs> and uh, the culture of our lovely country so yeah glad to be here awesome glad you're here um my name is Jennifer Fultz I am a Chinese American I was born and raised in this country but my parents um, are from Taiwan uh, moved here in the 70s for graduate school I'm originally from Columbus, Ohio. I am married to a, don't boo Columbus, <laughs> Miss Ann Arbor. Um, I am married to uh, a research scientist who is white American, whatever that means, and also a mother of a one-year-old boy who is going to marry Maiko's daughter when they are <laughs> of age and can consent, but they have no say in this because I've already made that decision for them. Yeah. <laughs> um, I am a currently working as a freelance writer and marketer. Um, my background is in science education. I'm currently redefining my identity in light of the events of the last year. So I grew up in a Chinese church, um, but in a very non-Asian community. So that's, it's kind of a tension that I've been handling most of my life. So figuring it out as I go. 
I love that. So it's interesting because we all have similarities. I'm also the daughter of Nigerian immigrants, but I was born and raised in the U.S. And that identity has been an interesting one to navigate over the years. Um, and I feel, and I guess we can start with this, that for me personally over the last year, but especially, especially post-election, um, if you listen to this podcast regularly, you know that I've called it the um, circus of an election cycle and that we were all psychologically and emotionally assaulted um, throughout it, leading up to it and afterwards. And so afterwards for me, my identity started to shift and I started to recognize and appreciate more of my blackness and more of the fact that I'm a woman. And those were identities that I hadn't, that even though they were pronounced in that when you look at me, you see the complexion, beautiful, I may add, um, that I have and my gender. Um, I didn't really delve too much into it leading up, but afterwards, because I felt like there was so much of an assault happening against um, people of color, LGBTQ communities, what else, women, um, people that are not white, um, or male, I guess, um, but marginalized communities that I started to feel that, that those, uh, those identities were more pronounced and um, that I felt more awake, if you will, around those. Was that you all's experience additionally or did you have a different experience? Because I'm not one to think that all women of color feel one way or all people of, you know, everyone has their own experience, but we're all here to share and learn. So. Yeah, question is for anyone. Yeah, so we talked about this a little bit in our little group chat. Like, so I was never the cool black kid. I was always like, I was always the, why is she so angry? Why is she always talking about black shit? Can she's black? Like, I was that person my whole life. And so, like, for me, this experience is, is almost vindicating for me like this is the shit i've been telling you for 10 years <laughs> this is what i've been angry about for 10 fucking years i've been trying to tell you you didn't listen to me you told me i was too angry like which honestly goes for my white friends as well as other friends of color i had that were very much like the cool friends of color and i was like the angry friend of color um so it's interesting and i think part of that is because of who my parents are um my parents weren't together, but I still grew up with them. So I grew up with my mom as a single mom, but my father was like still, you know, around in a way. And he's a professor at Howard University and he teaches African-American studies. And I tell my students all the time, like my father is the blackest black man in the United States of America. Like he is all black, everything, every day. And I very much grew up with a sense of my history, understanding racial politics, understanding the politics between sort of the global north and the global south because my parents are from the Caribbean and we just got our independence like 50 years ago. So I grew up being very aware of these things and always because both of my parents are very highly educated, verbose individuals, always wanting to speak my mind and like get into arguments with people. And it got to a point, honestly, in college, people were just like, okay, like, she's just like, she's like the angry person. Like, you don't start a conversation with her about this. She's going to crush you. And that was just kind of like my identity for the last decade. That's so interesting. Uh, because you, Sherry, and I talked about this. I had posted an article about, excuse me, 
about I'm no longer the cool black girl. And Sherry said just that, well, I was never. <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> and actually I was <laughs> like, I mean, leading up to this, I posted about yoga and essential oils and I mean, everyone liked me. Right. And then when I started to be more aware, like this shit is bad, like it is. <laughs> and not that it just got bad. Let's be honest. It's been bad for some time. Um, it, I believe it just has been coming up to the surface. And so it's interesting how people's perceptions of me have changed. Anyway, what about you all, um, Jennifer or Micah? I think um, I definitely had an awakening of sorts um, leading up to and after the election. So I've always lived my whole life in the Midwest, which is... um, not the bastion of Asian diversity. (laughs) Um, But I was kind of in sort of my own little Asian huddle through the church that I attended. And so, and that's kind of an interesting space because it was a Christian church. So in that way, we fit in really well with white evangelical culture. Um, And eventually I kind of outgrew that on my own, but it was still sort of my background and my heritage, so to speak. Um, and I ha- and I think, I think for a long time, I not consciously downplayed, but just because of where I was, um, didn't make a huge effort to identify with the Asian part of who I am. Um, I mean, I, you know, I went to Chinese school and I learned the language, um, I currently can speak like a very not bright second grader. (laughs) Um, You know, I I did those things, but I wasn't, I didn't really think about what that meant for me until um, leading up to and after the election was like, okay, I'm, you know, I'm, my experience is very different. I think from women of color who are black or Latina, um, and so for a, long, for a long time, I felt like I didn't really fit into that minority experience. But then it was like, well, but I sh- I'm definitely not white either. So where does that leave me? Um, and so that's that was kind of where I wound up, where I've been for the last nine to 12 months or so. Sure. Yeah, I've, um, I mean, I, so... I, I was born in Japan. Um, my dad was in the military. <clears throat> That's how I met my mom. And then we all moved to the States. Um, so I, I've always been a part of that sort of military culture where we're moving and like meeting lots of people and lots of diversity and all this stuff, sort of. <laughs> um, but I spent a good portion of my time growing up in Hawaii. And so, you know, that's a huge Asian population. The culture there is very different from the rest of the U.S. Having said that, my dad is from Missouri. And so, you know, I go back there and visit my family and, you know, the things that are said to me <laughs> out there as compared to anywhere else, you know. Um, and I think I've always been aware of it, you know, even through college. I went to college back in Missouri. Um, and, you know, I can't even, I literally can't count the number of times people said, oh, you speak really good English. I'm not even full, guys. <laughs> but, um, you know, I think that with this election that happened, like, I, I feel like, you know, it, everything was always there for me, just in the background, like, and, you know, especially when it comes to 
any sort of feminist action like that. That was something I was always really interested in, even with being a minority. Um, but it wasn't as prominent, I think, until this election, until I, you know, I had conversations with people who, who had you know, their opinions on what happened were so drastically different from mine um, that, you know, it was just like, I can't even comprehend where you're coming from. Like, how do you not see, you know, what's happening? Um, and that's, that's been really enlightening, I think. And, you know, um, interestingly enough that, you know, this past year has been, I think, just crazy for me having a baby and then, you know, going through my own identity crisis in terms of like, what does that mean for me now? You know, what, what do I need to do with my life? And like trying to figure all that out. And then all this happening on top of it, it's just been like this one big ball of like, yeah, it's, it's been an interesting year for sure. Um, and I think that I am that much more aware and trying a lot harder to learn and talk to people and, you know, kind of find out what else is it out there that I don't know that I can learn that can help me and help others um, go get through all this. <laughs> totally. So can I go? Yeah. Who, who wanted to speak? Sherry? Yeah, go ahead. I just want to return to a point that Jennifer made about like being in an Asian Christian church and how that she felt fit into a white evangelical Christian sort of church and ideology. Whereas like, I felt like I, so I grew up in a black church and in my experience and having now gone to three black churches, one for most of my childhood, then two different ones as an adult, black churches are very political. I, I don't think I've ever, I can't even remember in my life being at a black church where we were not very explicit about election time and issues. And like, this is the candidate who, you know, is basically going to further our interests as Christians and as black people, which was, you know, oftentimes much more important, uh, honestly, because like, look, you know, God will see us through, but not when you're, you know, standing in front of that cop. So this is who needs to be in office. And so I think that's also, you know, a, a maybe possibly like a huge difference between sort of like your traditional black church and maybe other churches of color or in, of course the white evangelical church because black churches from their inception have been political because they had to be because they're like ensuring you know the survival of us that's right yeah for sure um in i mean i i don't know by and large at least in my experience um asian churches tend to be more conservative politically um what's what's and i know it's probably very diverse but what in your experience in the black church what has what have you seen i'm sure there's some on both sides both political or both conservative and liberal but what was your experience i've, I've never been to a church where somebody was like hey vote for george bush hey <laughs> i'm being serious like i don't remember that ever in my life like mm. people were very clear that you may have these you know we have as Christians, we may have these beliefs about you know abortion, which is usually what gets conservatives a lot of their votes. Yep. Um, yep. But again, because we're also talking about our children and our education and our lives and criminal justice, and it was kind of like, okay, well, we have ten apples over here and one apple over here, so you know maybe if we educated our children better they would stop being you know having these unwanted pregnancies so it was just you know that was, i i've never been personally to a black church that was conservative really in any way aside from their views on abortion and i've never met like i've never 
encountered a black pastor in my church going experience that was like, yeah, you know, you need to, you know, we're voting Republican. Like that just wasn't it. But also, I mean, like, so of course every church is a political slant, but I mean like explicitly talking about politics in churches. I don't know if that's. That wasn't my experience um, in an Asian American church, but we, we were, it was a very much single issue type voting, yeah. usually based on those abortion lines. I actually, I voted for Barack Obama in 2008. And I, I at that point in my life, I was still feeling like mm. vaguely guilty about it because I was like, oh, but, but abortion. But I, I was starting to realize, like you just said, 10 apples over here, one apple over here. Sure. And I was like, how is I'm like I don't think that one apple is bigger than all the other apples combined but I still feel kind of weird because I was I was raised Republican and conservative and now I'm a flaming liberal pinko <laughs> <laughs> that's so fun well you know it's interesting that you all say that because so my dad's a pastor and so I was raised in my dad's church my entire life um, until I was, until I moved away, um, when I started my master's degree. And so I went to a church that wasn't far from my house. And I remember it was around, I think 2000 election and I caught wind kind of after the fact, not that I, I mean, I've been a straight Democrat my entire life because my my parents are were were and are and i've always lived in a progressive household um with them and so even though they were christian and are christian to sherry's point looking at racism looking at you know all of the other issues that were problematic trumped the other like abortion or lgbtq um so I remember going to this church and when I caught wind that the pastor was pushing an agenda from the pulpit about voting for George W. I was so pissed that I had even given money to this church because I was like, what have they done with the money? And it didn't help that this man drove like, I think a Bentley also. No. And, oh yes, he did. And sometimes people were like, well, he was a former NFL player and he saved his money. I'm like, I might have to call bullshit because I don't know if he did. Maybe he did. Maybe he didn't. But it really concerned me. Like it turned my stomach, you know, afterwards. And I recently, when I lived in Las Vegas, I found a church that I really loved that was really diverse. And it was actually a Baptist, like an undercover Baptist church, y'all. <laughs> I have always been like non-denominational when I finally came back to the church because I did leave and I came back. And so this church was very diverse, like 62 different uh, nations represented, all these different languages, really a lot of interracial couples and just very diverse. And then they started doing a series, and I'd already moved back to Michigan at this point, and the church is in Las Vegas. They did a series called State of the Union. And so the pastor was talking and kind of walking through his process of who he was going to vote for without mentioning any names. But he did say that someone who sought counsel, which I was like, huh, that's interesting. But that was the first time that I actually paid attention to what someone was saying about voting, because I've always felt like that's my choice. And I don't need a pastor to tell me what I need to do, because I already know <laughs> that I'm not going to vote 
Like I didn't vote for the person that's in office now. And that should come as no surprise to anyone who knows me or has ever come in contact with anything I've written. Um, but I think that's really, really interesting that, um, you know, people's experiences, not that I think it's, not that I'm surprised by it, but just that it's interesting the lens from which you come and just, you know, how different people's experiences are. I did have a question, but did anyone else want to add on to this kind of bit? Everyone's good on that. Um, so when you all, how were you feeling after the election? Like on November 9th, 2016. I wrote the most inflammatory post on my Facebook that I've ever written. <laughs> like it seriously, I got calls from my parents going, you need to take that down. <laughs> All it said was, I can't even remember. It was something like for anyone who voted for Trump last night, um, I'll remember that you think my daughter's pussy is just something to grab or something. <laughs> I, was pissed. I was pissed. I mean, it was just, I didn't expect it either. I think that was it. Like, you know, out of everything, everyone kept saying, oh, you know, it, it's happening, but Hillary will win, you know, and then to sit there and watch and like, just as the night went on, <laughs> I just could not believe it. Um, yeah, yeah. So, I was in a state of shock, too. I remember very clearly, like, so I was in Ohio at the time. We no longer are, but I was in Ohio at the time, which you can't, no one wins the election without Ohio. Right. Um, and so I'm watching the map fill up, and I'm just like, come on, Cincinnati. You're our only hope. Come on, Cleveland. You're our only hope. You know, and I was in central Ohio and that's always gone blue, but just watching the map fill up and I was like, okay, I have to go to bed now. And then that night, um, my, my son, that was the night my son stopped sleeping. Like, <laughs> I don't know if he like knew the horror of what was happening, but he cried. So I woke up and it was like 2 a.m. And, you know, I'm sleep deprived and exhausted, but I look on my phone and I'm just like, am I dreaming? Is this, is this real? And, and that feeling, so I think that feeling kind of followed me for honestly a couple, a couple days, a couple weeks afterward. Um, but just a sort of overwhelming sense of, nope, I am not one of you after all. Okay, thanks for letting me know. Totally. What about you, Sherry? So yeah, I don't. I don't think even President Trump thought he was going to win. Like, let's just be honest. Like, I think so. <laughs> um. So, but uh, this is this conversation is so timely because I literally like last night was reading. Um, Ta-Nehisi Coates wrote this fantastic essay. It's very long, but very dense, but it's really good for the Atlantic about how Donald Trump is the first white president. And he says that because Donald Trump is the first white president to win solely on a platform of white supremacy. Like that was his platform, like explicitly. Like I am white and no matter how mediocre I am and how little experience I have, if that black man was president, I damn sure can be president. And so, and now he's president. And now, and so the, the 
the article is just fantastic. The analysis is perfection. But essentially, like that's what I was thinking about today, because we know who voted for Donald Trump. So people are trying to paint this as like, you know, it was those angry, you know, white middle Americans in rural areas who lost their coal mining jobs. And that was part of it, certainly. But Donald Trump won white voters in every economic class. That's right. It was not just the poor white people that want that got him his victory. Surely his rhetoric appealed to them probably the most, but clearly every white person was like, yeah, I might not say this out loud because like I'm in this different economic class and I don't want to seem like I'm a racist, but deep down, Donald, you know my heart. <laughs> so, and so, and they voted according to their true beliefs. And that was Donald Trump took white people in every economic class, both genders, all Christians, everything. Like literally, those are the only people who voted for him and that is exactly how he won. And Terrifyingly so enough, they aren't <laughs> the only ones because there is a current, and Michael, I don't know if you see this out on the West Coast or not, but there is a current of Asian, in Asians in this country, I think because because of the conservativeness and I think there's just this illusion that as Asians we can we can like we'll be okay and we'll just kind of like skirt under the radar. I'm like, are you joking? Are you stupid? How do you think how do you think that you're gonna be safe when all these other people are not safe? Look at yourself in the mirror. You know, you're not gonna pass as white you will not pass as white. And that, that thought has been in my mind a lot too, thinking of my son, like, yeah, he's half white, but only half. And, you know, we know how that goes. <laughs> my thing is though, that all the Asian conservatives that voted for Donald Trump would not have gotten into the office. This is true. This is true. And so, I mean, because of course there were black idiots who voted for Donald Trump. <laughs> they voted for Donald Trump. And it was just like, really? Because you think Donald Trump cares about you? But anyways, so I, I, of course, there's always sort of what I'm going to go ahead and call like the Uncle Toms of all of us. Um, but let's yeah. be, but we know how he won. And he yeah. Won because he appealed yeah. to damn near every white racist sentiment in the United States of America. For sure. Accordingly. Well, and what, what's interesting, too, is that, you know, with Charlottesville, the people that were marching with their tiki torches and their white polo short and shirts and their guns and their khaki pants and shorts. Oh, they said that men don't wear shorts. So their khaki pants, <laughs> they said that they wanted people to look like, you know, so this was an advanced version or a 2017 version of the Klan, right? Because in the Klan, you know, back in the days of KKK, people covered up because they didn't want people to see them. But now we have racists among us that live amongst us. And they said that we just look like someone's spouse or, you know, my child's uh, playmate who, you know, is a soccer coach, the basketball coach, you know, it's like the people just, I mean, and this was a question that I had also is like, what do you all feel? Because it's not like we are all of a sudden a nation that has been built on racism. Like, this is not a new phenomenon, right? Like, the racism is not new. Sexism is not new. What else? Other isms are not, or phobias are not new. But why now? Besides Donald Trump, why now? And so with the Charlottesville, it's like, the very worst, the lowliest, and I know that it wasn't a popular word when Hillary Clinton used deplorables, but 
The deplorable behavior of a huge segment of the population is the reason why I believe we're here, but it's not new. So what now or what's next or what do we do? That's y'all's question. What, but Michael, were you going to say something before that? Yeah. Uh, no, I was just going to say, um, you know, as, as horrified as I was when Trump won, um, I don't know if you guys saw the SNL sketch um, probably like later that week or a couple weeks later or something where they showed the countdown through the night and like all, all the people were like, yay, Hillary's going to win. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, it slowly doesn't happen. And then you had the one guy there. He's like, no, uh, of course not, guys. Like, and, like after watching that, I was like, oh, I, I think I've been a little ignorant. <laughs> like, I just, hmm, I mean, as shocked as I was, I guess, yeah, I guess I should have seen that coming. But I just, you know, I just didn't want to believe it. Anyway, I thought that was um, a really interesting sketch to watch. And, and then it made me depressed, but. <laughs> yeah. Totally. And also, this is sort of, I don't, I forget who termed it, right? This is the black, like the, the black lash or the white yeah. from mm-hmm. Obama. Like it literally rocked the fragile whiteness and, you know, toxic masculinity issues that people have in the United States, like that white people have in the United States to their core, to the point that this is who had to be in office next. A person whose sole mission is to undo everything Barack Obama did, a president who on his first day in office, like, was it Mitt Romney who was like, we're gonna make him a one-term president, we're gonna do everything we can to stop everything he's doing. I mean, for eight years, right, he had no respect from any from his from the Republican Congress and Trump's basically all his policies have been hinged on doing the exact opposite or reversing right. or you know stopping whatever policy was enacted over the last eight years whether it was harmful or helpful he doesn't actually care it's just about dismantling the legacy of the first black president because it just was too much like white America couldn't handle it and he's not even fully black. Like, I just want to put that out there. <laughs> God knows if he had actually had two black parents, he wouldn't even made it into the office in the first day. At all. Yeah. Yeah. That was- and I, th- I think that's a symptom also of how polarized we've become. Like, it's not even about what I believe. I just want to be against what you, what you who I don't agree with stand for um i thought it was interesting when they were attempting to repeal slash replace obamacare and it failed and i'm like twice twice (laughs) it failed twice thank you and i'm just like hmm looks like people actually want health care that's strange and i'm like can we get can we can we like agree on a couple things that like everybody wants because i'm pretty sure we can but i think we've just gotten out of the habit of looking for what's worth agreeing on we're just all we're just we and i and i include myself in that like you know we're just looking for ways to shout down the opposite side without realizing oh actually we you know we thought about it. We actually all want the same thing, but maybe we disagree on how to get there, but I don't know. But I don't even feel like it was because Obama was a Democrat that they were fighting him. I feel like it's because he was black. Because probably. If, so first, if George Bush had introduced universal health care, there would have been no fight. 
Nobody would be like, oh, we're going to re repeal the Bush Medicare, you know, Universal Medical Act of blah, blah, blah. Like nobody would be trying to do that because that universal health care policy was also had been put forth, I want to say also by Mitt Romney at some point in the past, or maybe it was McCain by some point in the past. And so he thought like, oh, I'm going to propose this because y'all have already sort of supported this. It's from one of your own. And then because it was him that introduced it, all of a sudden it was problematic and it's government overreach and all this stuff. And then, like you said to your point, Jennifer, lo and behold, they tried two times. I believe they're trying a third time right now to repeal and replace. And they're going to fail again because people actually want it. They just don't want to admit that their black president, their former black president, was the person who gave it to them. And that is the problem. Like, all of it, like, you can't escape your white supremacy or your feeling or your, whether they're really internal deep down inside you or you're shouting it from the rooftops because then you have to admit to all these other things that I feel like white people in this country are not willing to reckon with or not willing to reconcile, not today, possibly not in our lifetimes. Um, and part of that is because of the story we told ourselves since 1776. Well, and let's not even forget about the people that are on ACA. The only reason they have health insurance is because of ACA. And so the fact that someone would be unaware that ACA and Obamacare are the exact same thing and that they want, I mean, it kills me. And part of the, I, I don't want to say the evil in me, but like the humanity in me is like, good, let's, let's do it. Let's, let's do what you think you want and let's see the shit show or the free fall that actually ha like same thing with DACA. It's like, okay, you think you want 800,000 people to get deported? That's what you think, right? Okay. Let's see what happens economically. The demise that will, that will happen. Not if it's when it will happen. You know, I think that some people are just so proud of their ignorance and are just entrenched in it and they dig their heels. And ignorance, friends, it just means lack of awareness of, <laughs> unfamiliarity with, like, it doesn't mean you're stupid. Some stupid people are ignorant. A lot of ignorant people may not be stupid. However, they're unaware of what's going on and they haven't made the linkages. It's like, I used this example with a friend earlier today. I feel that some of my friends who did vote for Trump, they're small business owners. They voted, they say, from the economic standpoint and that they weren't voting for a pope or he's an ass, but that wasn't what they, why they voted for him, et cetera, et cetera. And what I don't understand is the inconsistency or the hypocrisy of someone saying, I don't want the government to be all up in my, you know, cash flow log, right? My money, my wallet. If you're going to have a wallet, get a Seiko wallet. Um, but they don't <laughs> want, you know, someone to be there, but they want someone to be in my uterus, like figuring out what I should be doing with my uterus and my, right. um, you know. Um, but then I they, always thought that was weird. So weird. But then they want to tell someone who, two adults that are consenting adults, that happen to maybe be in the same, um, be the same gender, or one has was not, you know, has switched genders because that's authentic to who they are. That's a problem, you know. Two adults that are 
interested in getting married. Now that's a problem. Um, but why don't you want someone in your uh, wallet or your cash chill, but you want to be making all these choices for, for other people? Right. Consistency with all lives matter. All lives matter unless you're Syrian, unless you're an immigrant, unless you're gay, unless you're black. That's right. <laughs> There's all these exceptions. So what you really want to just say is white lives matter, which, you know, honestly, that's what they said at Charlottesville. And I was like, thank you. Thank you for being honest. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's the one thing that like drives me nuts is that, you know, it's, you can say, okay, it's the ignorance of the people and they don't understand, but it's like, but it's the intentional ignorance that that's what kills me is it's like even trying to explain and trying to stay here, educate yourself, you know, read things. How else do you think I learn about things? You know, I look stuff up, I talk to people, I learn. And then that's what changes and forms my opinions. Um, you know, that they won't even do that. And that's what kills me. That's like, okay, you're saying these things, but you know, if you just, you know, don't even take it from me. Just read about it. Read all these other things, you know, get, get a big mass of opinions and, and, you know, read articles. I don't know. And like, but they still, what I, what I find hilarious is the people who howl about moral relativism causing this country to fall apart are the ones who don't use evidence and hide behind the word opinion. Like, 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 so, like there's just this, there's sometimes there's so much cognitive dissonance sometimes that I'm like, yeah. how do you function? How, like, how do you get, how do you get through your day? Because that doesn't, I just, it just makes so little sense to me. Um, going back to the idea of like, of almost wanting to let people reap the consequences of what they think they want or they say they want, like, I have thought that since high school when I didn't know anything and everybody was like, you know, China's stealing all our jobs. I'm like, you going to work for $2 a week? You going to pay, you going to pay a hundred dollars for that t-shirt? I didn't think so. And again, this was in high school when I didn't understand anything about life, but I understood that. So again, just like the cognitive dissonance is like. Your things are reconciling, guys. Right. <laughs> also, just plain denial, right? Because all, so I have a friend who um, is a teacher in Florida, and a lot of her students, when they tried to do a mock election, they ended up not being able to do it because it was so contentious, of course. But <laughs> a lot of her students who are Trump supporters um, and are, whose parents voted for a man who's like, you know, build the wall, and now is like, we're ending DACA, send them back. But those kids were also very aware that their parents hired a shitload of legal immigrants to work on their farms. Or clean their house or, or do their, their gardening or, or, or they were their nanny. nanny. Yes. So, so that becomes a thing. It's like, it's so to your point, it's cognitive dissonance, but like part of that is an inherently well, like yeah. I'm going to oh, yeah. buy this so that I can ease the cognitive dissonance that I'm having. Because in no way, like if we took every illegal immigrant out of this country, white people are going to suffer the most because they have them locked up in their basements, working in their homes and all kinds of stuff as we've seen, you know, in various news, you know, as the scandals break every two, three years. They also hide just because they're Russian or, or mail order brides. Let's not even start with that. Like those are all illegal immigrants. Illegal immigrants are not all brown and or Latino. Right. We just decided to racialize them that way because white supremacy eastern european illegal immigrants in this country brought in by other white people who pay for them 
Well, and let's be honest. It's my understanding. And I think if anyone's going to correct me, if I'm wrong, it'll be y'all three. I believe even Melania Trump at some point had overstayed a, a work visa and was not here legally. I mean, she later rectified it. But if you are going to go after, I mean, but here's my simple solution. Everybody who wants it to be make America white again, go somewhere else. Find another country. Make your own country. We're fine. But please make sure there are no people in that nation before, like the piece of land before, because we've already experienced that once before here. Um, Antarctica's white. Yeah, go there. Go there, please. I mean, I don't have a problem. If you, if you don't like what's happening here because there are too many people that are different than you um, and want to live their lives just like you want to live your life, then feel free. You can always deport yourself. Leave. You but can find somewhere. Yeah, but it's that. But that's like the definition of white privilege. Like Melania Trump did the exact thing that Donald Trump based part of his platform on and it's okay right. when she did it just like tommy laren i don't know if y'all had like yes. when he was like ranting against obamacare but then she was like thankfully i'm on my mom's insurance bitch you're on her insurance because of obamacare like and and so that becomes the thing like well when i do it it's different it's different just like we see suspension rates are different in schools because kids act act up it's because their parents are going through a divorce or they've had a really hard day and this is not really how they are normally that's right if a kid gets suspended everybody's like oh yeah that kid trouble that's right well i i saw a a video that i sent to y'all about um a white man in chicago who was a black man bumped into him by accident and he um he just went off. Like he called him cattle. He said that he shouldn't be walking on two legs, that he deserves to be on all fours. He called him vermin and just really horrific things. And it went on and it, it got uh, physical too. And so someone had, that was video recording said, Oh, he's, he's nuts. And I wrote in a comment and I rarely write comments because I don't want to hear, I don't want the notifications of everyone else posting. But I said, oh, no, let's call this what it is. He's not nuts. Racist, to be sure, yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, nuts, no. Because nuts, even though I don't like that word, it generally lends itself to, like, we're talking about mental health. Um, and mental health, you know, looking at responsibility and accountability. But if you're racist, I mean, let's just be honest about who we are, which I think is what we're seeing. We're seeing more people that have been emboldened, right? That are doing the things that um, vocalize or behaving in ways that definitely demonstrate that there's a lack of respect for marginalized communities and straight up racism or whatever ism it is or phobia it is. And it's just been considered acceptable, even though these, you know, I don't think that Trump made these things happen i do believe that it's gotten worse under his watch or since the election leading up to the election and post-election but it's not new um it's a trump is a symptom he's not a cause yeah i agree he he definitely has stirred the pot and i say that in all the you know whatever however you take that <laughs> and just so, like this no, go ahead no go ahead go ahead I'm sitting, I'm sitting here just thinking of the spin that 
he's sort of like to your point like he's not stupid sometimes some of his aides i think are stupid mm -hmm. but but either way their idea to their ability to spin everything right there were not more people at obama's inaugurations those are alternate facts like who else who else gets to call a lie a different word and add it to our national lexicon aside from a blonde white woman <laughs> i mean seriously and even so i don't know if y'all saw this article but vanity fair put out their list of best trust people in the world and michelle Obama made the list and melania trump did not and people are like flipping out but part of that i don't know what the reasoning was but related to that is that melania trump wore like five inch stilettos when they went to go survey the ruins of Hur hurricane harvey and of course, people are like, so you're not here to help, basically, because you might have thought to come in, you know, kids or something. And then Kellyanne Conway gets on Fox News and is like, see, this is why feminism isn't even real. Like, shame on all those feminists, because women should be able to wear what they want. Like, that was absolutely not the point. But the spin, right, that she has is ridiculous. And I feel like no, no one else would be able to do that. That, like white privilege like it's everywhere and it's so so powerful no one else will be able to spin the thing spin things in the way that she has like no matter what it is we're going to ignore the point i'm going to focus you on something else and still make donald trump seem like a victim like a rich white man who has stolen che cheated lied his way to the top he is the victim here that's right yeah, Sarah Huckabee uh, Sanders, same. There's an allergy to, I think, um, sadly, there's an allergy to the truth and reality and that your lived experience is meaningless, right? Your lived experience is meaningless. However, mine, let's take a look at what's happening over here. And I'm truly, I'm truly the victim, which is an interesting way to look at things. So... Any last thoughts because we're approaching and I knew that it would happen this way. I knew that we would enjoy talking. Uh, so that means that we just have to do it again another time. Uh, additionally, so we'll have another episode with the super dope ladies. Um, so anything else that y'all want to um, kind of toss out there. I have a quick question. I don't know if we can answer in like a minute each, but sure. I think I'm the, I, I, I might be assuming, but I've only been married for two years. His, so I think I'm like the youngest relationship. Is that right? No. About, I, we're, well, we're, we just had two years. Okay. Um, we had a baby sooner than we planned to, but that's okay. <laughs> um, so yeah, we're, we're just about two and a half years. What about you, Michael? Um, we hit five years, I think, this past year. And a baby. Congratulations. Awesome. <laughs> it was great. We didn't realize it was five years. <laughs> it was the day after. We're like, oh, it's our anniversary. Oh, shit, it's been five years. Oh, should we, like, do something? I guess we'll go eat with the baby. <laughs> funny. Mm -hmm. I guess, um, what... How, how have you been with your partner, which obviously there we have partners who are amazing, clearly, by virtue of who we are. So obviously they, they mostly get it or try to, right? Um, but as far as their families, what has been your experience? 
I'm not going to talk about that. <laughs> um, Matt's family, um, they, we haven't talked much, too much about it. Um, yes, we have different opinions. Um, interestingly enough, I think the, I think the most surprising thing for me with this election, um, was talking to my family. Um, I think me and my sister kind of bonded over our understanding of what's happening. Um, and working with a particular parent <laughs> to understand what that one was thinking of. <laughs> it's been difficult. Um, you know, just trying to think of like ways to approach it that can um, enlighten and help with the understanding that has been really difficult because, you know, for me, it's, it seems simple enough, not, you know, not simple, but it seems pretty evident. Like there's, there's so much evidence around everything and like, you know, the interpretations of that don't seem to be that you know, different from what I can tell. So I don't understand where like the other side can be coming from sometimes. Like I get it, but I, for me, it's not about like, oh, I just have a different opinion on it. It's like, no, no, you're just choosing not to look at what's happening. And you're, you know, basing all of your facts on things that are not true. And you won't open your mind to, to what's really going on. And, um, and we're working on it. We're working on it. We're going to get there. <laughs> so that's been my experience. <laughs> awesome. What about you, Sherry? Um, definitely difficult. Um, to the, honestly, so I wish my, I wish I could see something as positive as what Michael just said, but I'm going to say something probably completely opposite. <laughs> we don't talk to my husband's family. Um, and, and, and this was way before Trump. It was because they didn't want him to marry me because I'm black. <laughs> um, and that in addition to being a Trump supporter, you know, surely doesn't help. And, uh, I actually had tried sort of like in a moment, I'd say in a moment of grace and in a moment of trying to really think about my like spiritual identity, like I tried to reach out to them, especially because my husband's brother is getting married in October and we were invited to the wedding. So I'd say his brother is, is sort of the, um, involved, maybe, I don't know, like involved an involuntary racist, maybe like, he's like, you know, I see that there's some bad stuff happening over there. I'm not going to get too involved. Cause I don't want to be like, you know, I don't want to have any conflict, but I like, I'm with you up here. Like he's that kind of person. So it's like, yeah, it still kind of implicates you, but whatever. So anyways, we're going to the wedding and he invited us. However, that's going to be the first time that we have seen um, Michael's parents in over five years. Cause they did not come to our wedding. His siblings came to our wedding um, very begrudgingly, but they came. Um, they were also kind of ridiculous, but whatever. And uh, so I tried to reach out to them like, a couple months ago, like in May. And the, the first thing, one of the first things that his sister said to me, we were on a phone call together, were that they didn't like the books I was sending our nieces and nephews, because I send them like books and games and pajamas for Christmas. That's like the standard Christmas package. And apparently, you don't give white kids book with black kids in them, books with black kids in them or Hispanic kids in them, because they're those books. 
And as an educator, like as a person that like really shook me, but as an educator, I was just like, what? You don't want your child to read books with other looking kids in them? Like it just, it was a bit much. And so, um, and she had sent me an email and I sent her one back. And then over the weekend, my husband had graduated at that time. And my mother and I had taken pictures with him at graduation. Now, I want you to know that we are not friends on Facebook. None of his family is friends with me on Facebook. From the moment I started dating Michael, like, and we were serious, I friend requested all of them. So we're talking about over five years ago. And not even to this day have they, like, accepted my friend request. But because of who I am, when, we, when Michael has, like, a life event, I make sure to tag him that his family can see the pictures of him. I don't know if they realize that or not, but whatever. So when he graduated from nursing school, I put the pictures on Facebook and I tagged him. And his sister literally went through that entire album and liked every single picture besides the one of Michael and I and my mom and Michael. <laughs> At which point I was like, I don't think I'm going to continue this conversation with you right now. Because you can't like, you know, call me on the phone or like email me and be like, you know, we're going to try to work this out. We don't agree, blah, blah, blah. Because we were talking about whether or not her parents are racist, which she doesn't think they are. But I'm like, but if you kind of give your kids a mandate not to date black people, I think that kind of puts you in that, whatever. So we were talking about it anyways. But like, I just really ceased all communication when she did that because I'm like, see, this is the thing though. Like you can't say privately, like, I'm gonna try to work this out with you. But then on, like, she could have just not liked any of the photos. How about that? Just look at them and don't comment. But if you're gonna comment on every single one, except for the one where he's with people of color, like, come on, what are you doing? So, like that, since May, like, there's literally been zero, like, absolutely zero communication. And I think I'm becoming a little nervous about being in Ohio, no offense, <laughs> being in Ohio, <laughs> being in Zaysville, <laughs> Ohio, um, and probably going to be one of maybe four or five people of color in that room, period. But knowing very clearly how people feel about me, which on one hand is sometimes nice, but also like I have to be there because I have to support my husband, who's going to see his mother for the first time in like six years. Um, walk his walk her brother walk his brother down the aisle when she did not have the decency to even show up to her wedding um so like i'm like okay i just have to like power through my own stuff and like just kind of be present for my husband but i'm just like i don't even know if i like i don't want to go i mean i'm going but i don't want to go so that's kind of where i am and you know what that's fair um a because it's your experience and that's what it is, you know, and I appreciate you sharing it, and I hope that people are listening that may not agree with everything that we are talking about here today, hear that, right, because when we are disrespectful in that way for something, like, that's why I don't understand racism. Um, I understand it. I, I understand it because I'm an educated woman. But I don't understand it because it does not make any sense whatsoever that someone would have that strong of opinion, a negative opinion on someone 
that they've never met or someone that they've met but don't know solely on the basis of how they were born. I mean, I didn't choose this. I'm happy with it, but I did not choose my gender. I didn't choose my nationality or my ethnicity. I did I did not have a say. I slid down the birth canal and that's what happened, you know. And I was like, I'm here. And you know, and we all have that experience. The birth experience may be different, but no one selected how they would. So people who are really prideful about who they are, and I'm speaking specifically about people who are white pride people, you didn't select that either, you know? So, okay, I'm glad that you're proud of who you are. I I love that I'm Nigerian for sure um, and that I'm American, but that was not a choice that I made. (laughs) It just kind of was made for me. It's how I was created. So when people have these strong opinions on it, I honestly am dumbfounded. Like, I know what it is, but I just don't. (laughs) I'm like. But that's what you select to be (laughs) so strongly opinioned about. Exactly. Yeah. You're not concerned about people hurting one another. Like, that is not, (laughs) that's not the sword you want to die on or the hill you want to climb. Like, you are mad because your brother is married to someone that doesn't look like him. And yet there's love there. There's no abuse there. You know, like it's a healthy relationship. There's mutual respect there. There's trust. There's affinity. There's two people making one another better, but not because they want to keep the other one, but because they feel inspired by one another. But that's what you want to focus on. Send them the link to this video or this. uh, We're not doing a video. Well, we kind of are doing a video, Uh, but the audio when it goes live. Did you want to add something? Sherry, keep us on speed dial that day and you can live tweet. <laughs> Girl, do a Facebook live. Provide yeah. snark and or support as needed. Oh my God. That boy. He's so adorable. He's looking right at us. Yeah. Because he knows. There's beauty all up in here. That's what he knows, right? I'm going to raise him to start a revolution. (laughs) That's right. That's right. Did y'all see, um, and then I'll let y'all go. Did y'all see the, uh, it's a poster of a little person holding up and it said something about naps, but I got to stay woke. (laughs) (laughs) That's cute. I have to send it to y'all. He is a cute little person. Well, on a, on a fun note. Yeah. Since my sisters in, and brother-in-law apparently don't like the books I've sent their kids, maybe I'll just, like, repossess them, and then I'll just send them to your kids. <laughs> oh, and talking about, like, books with people who don't look like me, excuse me, where are you going to find a book full of Asian kids? <laughs> That's right. Talk about Hapa kids, man. That's right. <laughs> Nothing. Oh. Representation. Yeah, that's right. That's what we'll, that's going to be our next. Um, That'll be our next project. I'm our next project. Um, okay. So anything last minute? Um, <laughs> Here's one. <laughs> oh, I love that. What yeah. is that about, Micah? One of um, my friends wrote it. And it's just like, what's lovely is what's different. You know. Oh, 
different people. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I love that. I was That's like, oh, yes, perfect. <laughs> Something with different people. Yeah. Anyway. Love Can we talk that. about the babysitters club? Because like, I like there's only one Asian and there's only one black girl in the freaking babysitters club. (laughs) I grew up like with a complex that I wanted to be the blonde one because she was cooler than the Asian one. Because of course the Asian one is just like a square who gets good grades and blah, blah, blah. And plays the violin and piano and cello. (laughs) Probably has glasses. (laughs) Oh, we can provide an updated woke babysitters <laughs> right. right. I love that alright I'm looking for a story um, I kind of like this one but I don't know if I like it that sounds horrible because it's someone's story right it's legit um, okay let's see well I'll start with this I I'm so grateful to have found y'all and that you agreed to come on um, the podcast. So thank you. Thank you. It felt really short. Yeah, I did. <laughs> What'd you say? It felt really short. <laughs> I know, but you know what? It's been, I mean, it hasn't been quite an hour, but it's been, it's been some time. So we'll just do it again. Yeah. Is exactly well, what to why we all need to be talking to each other more often mm-hmm. that's right that's right okay so I'll go back to the one that I I found yeah no that's absolutely correct um because of the support and just being able to vent because there are certain things that you all understand um that maybe someone else may not and vice versa so it's a positive to know that you're not the only one whatever that is. So I will include um, the title of the book that Micah showed us lovely in the show notes. Um, any titles that um, Sherry's able to repossess, I'll <laughs> include those in the show notes as well. Um, so that if you're listening and you have little people in your life that you'd like to, um, because it starts in the home, right? Like all of this behavior, no one slides down to the birth canal having distaste and disdain and hatred for other people. It just doesn't happen. People are taught this. um, And this is, I call it generational sin, if you will. That's the only thing I would call generational sin um, because sin, I believe, is set apart from the divine, whatever that means to you. Um, (laughs) The chats on this. I love it. Um, So. Yeah, we we get to kind of be the ones to resist and to kind of help people find their way, set them straight. All right. So thank you all. I appreciate it. Um, (laughs) I can't with y'all. Okay. So everything will be in the show notes, everyone's bio and all that stuff and ways to get in contact with them if, um, if that makes sense. So the story I found that I really love, I'm deciding I love it. So it appears to be a man uh, and he's holding his iPhone up with two little people in the photo. And it says, there are always two little beautiful humans looking at me. 
like I'm the most important thing in the world. They copy everything I do, especially my son. I know that's how he'll learn to treat women. I call my wife pet names, and my son started calling his sister those names, those same names. Recently, I picked flowers for my wife, and the next day he picked flowers for his sister. And so this, the son is actually a, a little bit older than his sister. And that was a story they um, recorded in Moscow, Russia. So, all right. Um, I honor the place within you where the entire universe resides. I honor the place within you of love, of light, of truth, of peace. I honor the place within you where when you are in that place in you and I'm in that place in me, there's only one of us. So I appreciate you all listening and subscribing and sharing the podcast, your love and support. Again, thank you so much for listening to the Type A Hippie Podcast, SheCast episode 55. Until next time, have a gratitude-filled day. Namaste.